My fault. We're good. Cool. Um, yeah, so if you're just joining us, um, maybe, well, can you just put the lights down a little bit? Maybe maybe the flurries you might put off this week. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, thanks. That's good. Um, yeah, we've just been doing a series on prayer. We're actually going to finish it up this week. Um, so this will be the third week. Um, Joe Lee's going to speak next week on the kingdom, which is going to be awesome. She's in the creche, actually, at the moment. Yeah, so it's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, and, and so we started this series a couple of weeks ago, and India started um, sharing about prayer and starting with the reality of who God is, kind of like what Josh was saying before, that God doesn't change, that God's good even when it doesn't look like it. That, that he's the Lord, that he's gracious and compassionate and kind. And we start there even when our circumstances don't look like that. Then last week, um, Josh shared, uh, not Josh, uh, Mark shared about prayer and the fact that prayer is actually powerful and that, that prayer is, is not just something that grows us and, and develops our relationship with God, but it's actually something that changes things, that, that God actually moves um, on behalf of our prayers, that, that prayer can actually change history, it can actually change people, it can actually change circumstances, and we can actually pray and ask God to move. And, and Mark spoke about that last week. And he kind of touched on this, and, and India kind of the start touched on this as well, that, that as amazing as prayer is, and as powerful as prayer is, it's a reality for everyone who's prayed that often our prayers are not answered. And the, the, the strange thing sometimes is it's often like in the things that you're really needing God to come through on, often he doesn't. And, and you may have experienced this, that, that you've been pouring out your heart for God to, to, to heal someone, to, to break into a situation, to give you something that you need, and God seems absent. He seems silent. He's not there. And that, that just causes all sorts of confusion and doubts all sorts of pain and suffering. And what are we to do with the reality that prayer is often not answered? Unanswered prayer is a real thing. Um, there's a great book on this, um, if, you, if you're interested in this. It's written by Pete Grigg, who started 24-7 Prayer in the UK. I'm going to take a fair bit from this this week. It's called God on Mute. And this guy, we actually use a bit of his stuff when we've done prayer weeks and the Easter prayer and so forth. In the UK, there's a prayer movement that started um, in 1999, it started at the same time as the prayer movement at, for IHOP in, in Kansas City, and they've been going since then, praying 24-7. And in the UK, Pete Grigg started this thing, and they would go into um, universities or schools or hospitals, and they'd just find a room, and they'd set up a 24-7 prayer space. They would just have people on a roster, and people would come and pray for an hour, and it would just keep going. And this thing just exploded across the UK. God was doing something amazing, and, um, and they saw miracles, they saw... God um, bring people to himself. They saw people just walking off the street and encounter God. God was using this guy, Pete Grigg, in an amazing way. But in the midst of all of that, he woke up one night to his wife having a seizure. And he's freaking out and he's praying to God. And the ambulance comes and they go to hospital and he's praying to God. And it turns out that his wife is diagnosed with a brain tumor and epilepsy. And he's crying out. This is the one thing he needs God to come through on, to heal his wife. And God just seems absent. There's just nothing. God is not healing her. God's not fixing the situation. And this is the, the prayer guy, right? Like, like God is using him to do in this prayer movement, and the one thing that he really needs God to come through on, God is not coming through on. And what do you do with that? And, and he, this sort of sent Pete Grieg into this sort of process of exploring the reality of unanswered prayer, and that's really what his book is about, God on Mute. What, is it, what do you do when it seems like God is just not listening? 
that God is just not interested? That, that how do you deal with that reality? So what we want to do tonight is just explore that a bit, and that's obviously a massive topic and, um, and, and is so difficult. And what I want to start with is just some really sort of, he, he goes through these in the book, just some really kind of light almost, um, sim, almost kind of simplistic but also biblical reasons why God might not answer prayer. There's actually, he's, he gives 15 reasons, which don't be overwhelmed, it's kind of like, after this, it's like, oh, kind of why bother praying? There's so many reasons why it might not happen. But th- these are some of the reasons he gives. This is kind of, we're just going to start kind of like, these are just some simplistic answers more so. And then we're going to go and deal a bit more with the reality when it's a bit more difficult. So this is what, in this book, Pete goes through. Actually, this, when you look at the Bible, it's actually, he gives about 15 reasons why God might not answer prayer. I don't want to spend long on this. But some of them, the first one is just like common sense. Like sometimes the things we ask God for are just silly and just strange. Um, I think his example is like when you're driving your car and you're just praying for a, a petrol station. And it's kind of like, what do you actually want God to do? Like, do you just want him to like dump a petrol station there? Like, like where is it going to come from? Like things like that. And things like contradiction, like that, that if everyone, some people are praying right for it to rain, some people are praying for it to be fine. Probably every Saturday someone's praying for it to be fine for a wedding. Like, like what is God going to do? Like it can't rain and be fine. Like there's, there's things like that. Laws of nature. Like, Jesus calmed a storm, but if, if we could just calm every single storm that happened, that would kind of cause problems with the weather system in the world. Um, life is tough, that, that sometimes things, we just have to face the reality of a, of a fallen world, and God is not just going to take away every other problem. Same with that kind of doctrine, like our understanding of God, that God hasn't prob- promised to take away all pain and all suffering now, that he will one day. Sometimes God doesn't answer prayer because it's second best, Mark kind of touched on this last week, right? Like, like with a little kid, a parent doesn't give them everything they ask for. Like that wouldn't be a good parent for, for every time the kid asks for ice cream for every single meal, like to just say, yeah, sure. Like that, that wouldn't be a good parent, right? It's not the best thing for the child. Motives, sometimes our motives are not right. They're selfish. Sometimes God wants to draw us into relationship. Sometimes we're asking God to actually override someone's free will, which he doesn't do, that, that he respects people's free will. Sometimes we want to influence people wrongly and, and God doesn't want to do that. Mark spoke about this last week. There's actually can be satanic opposition and spiritual warfare in our prayers. Faith is an aspect of it, that, that sometimes we're not having faith. We're not actually believing God for what we're asking for. Sometimes we're not persevering. Sometimes there's issues with sin or justice and ignoring the poor. So he kind of goes through all these, right? Like these are kind of some reasons why our prayers might not be answered according to Scripture. But the reality is, there's times when it's none of those things, right? That, that it's, it's, it's not that there's an issue. It's not that what we're asking for is not in God's will. It's not that there's sin. It's not that, that we lack faith. And, and, but God is still silent. That God just doesn't seem to be there at the time we need him the most. And the reality of this, right, is that we experience the wilderness. We experience a season where God just seems absent, where things before that worked don't work anymore. When he seemed close, he's not close anymore. And the wilderness for us probably doesn't look like a desert. It probably just looks like this, right? Like everything could look good around us. We could have lots of nice things, but still be in a wilderness. And it's easy, and, and, and it can be easy in that time to start to question God and doubt God and, and even fall away from God. But he can be doing things in the wilderness. 
We see this in, in Scripture that God is often have, has a plan and a purpose, and he's doing something bigger in this season of wilderness. This is what Pete Grieg says. It's such an interesting quote. This is, this is kind of long, but I want to I read the whole thing to you because it's talking about what God can be doing through unanswered prayer. He says this. It's one of the great ironies of life that our unanswered prayers can be used to craft the greatest answer to prayer that we will ever experience. Where he goes with this is he says, when, when you kind of first come to know God, it's kind of like falling in love, right? And when, when, when like a guy meets a girl and they fall in love and it's really romantic and, and it's amazing and there's kind of this stage of infatuation, right? And there's this, this time where you just love them, you just want to be with them all the time. You're just so full of joy and excitement, just everything is amazing and wonderful. But often when you look kind of behind love songs and kind of some romance, Actually, the, the type of love that's being described is actually often quite selfish. It's actually about me. This person makes me feel good. I like being with them. It's about what they can give me. It's about, about, about them satisfying me. And actually, part of maturing and growing up, and then you sort of see um, towards like the end of their lives, you see married couples who've been married for years and years, you have this deep love for each other, for the, for the other that it's no longer this infatuation or just falling in love, but it's a deep sacrificial love. And that this is actually part of maturing. This is what Pete Griggs says. He says, growing into maturity, whether it's in a romantic relationship, a child-parent relationship, or in a relationship with God, always involves a steady process of recentering from our own priorities and preferences to those of the other. That's why our center of gravity shifts as we mature spiritually. So we come to God and we're kind of fallen in love and everything's good and amazing. But then we begin to pray that God would change our hearts and rewire our motivations. We long to become more like Jesus. We ask God to help us be more humble, right? And that's a dangerous thing to pray. We ask him to make us more loving and more faithful. Now, this is so interesting. He says, it is in answer to these very prayers that God may decide to deny our requests and even withdraw a little from our lives. He's saying that the greatest answers may be coming from the unanswered prayers. He says this, As long as it makes perfect sense to serve God and live for Him, our faith can only mature so far. There's nothing very selfless or sacrificial in obeying God as long as it remains in our best interest to do so. So as long as we're enjoying his love, receiving miraculous provision, hearing his voice clearly, experiencing his reality in worship, gaining stimulating insights from the Bible, knowing God's comfort when we are hurting, and so on, until these things are removed from our lives and we are left to stand alone without any reason for continuing except steadfast loyalty, we cannot truly mature from an us-centered relationship with God to a truly Christ-centered one. It isn't until all the facts that once reinforced our beliefs are removed from our lives that we can truly live by faith and not by sight. That's a full-on quote, hey? Like he's saying that in response to our prayers to be close to God and more like God, God will withdraw so it actually then becomes about God and not about us. This is um, this idea of wilderness, right? And that, that God actually uses the wilderness to grow and to change and to shape. And actually in the wilderness is where we realize how worthy God is, that we discover his worth. This is what one author talked about as well. It's, it's interesting when God delivers the Israelites from Egypt, 
God says to, Moses says to Pharaoh that God wants them to come out of Egypt into the wilderness so that they can worship God, so they can see his worth. This is what this writer says. In the wilderness, the children of Israel discovered that above all others, he was worthy. He was the father they wanted. He was the provider they needed. He was the mighty one whose protection, without whose protection they would have disappeared in the desert sands, as had so many other lost people before them. As they discovered his worth in the stresses and strains that only the wilderness provides, the father hoped his children would have ascribed to him worthship. And that's really the definition of worship, that in the wilderness, the people of Israel, God's plan was for them to realize that ultimately the most important, worthy, worthwhile thing they could ever have is God. That all the things that he was giving them were good, but they came from him. This is... This is what God can be doing in the midst of unanswered prayer, right? This is, this is what he can be doing in the wilderness, as painful as it is. It's really interesting, though, because even just knowing that may not help. Um, you guys probably know C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. I might have said this before, but he's got two books about suffering. The first one is called The Problem of Pain. And and he's quite intellectual guy, like really amazing Christian that God used powerfully. And in The Problem of Pain, he talks about the big question that everyone asks, like how can a good and all-powerful God allow suffering? And he gives all the reasons and he gives the details and he, and he comes up with lots of possible solutions to the question of suffering, which is one of the biggest questions there is, right? And this is what C.S. Lewis does in The Problem of Pain. But then his wife dies and they weren't married very long at all. And he, he was so in love with her and she passed away. And he writes another book. And this book is called A Grief Observed. And in this book, basically, none of those reasons that he gave helped. And this book is just him pouring out his heart in sorrow and in pain and in suffering and just dealing with the reality of, of this world and the suffering and the pain. And he has some quote that he says like, why can't I accept that all of these writings that I'm writing are just the, 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 the rants, basically, of a man who can't accept that the only thing to do with suffering is to suffer? And, and he's just, th th these two books are so different, right? The answers don't actually help the pain. That the pain is still real, and we have to do something with the pain. This is really what I want to get to tonight, and what what is, is, is something I want to share with you about prayer that I've sort of just been reading about, learning about, and that's this idea that lament is legit. You might not have heard of lament before. Lament is basically like passionate sorrow or expressing your heart to God. It, it, it's just telling God how you feel, even when you're angry at him, even when you're angry at other people, even when you're disappointed, even when you're full of hatred, when you're, dis when, when you're just in your worst place, bringing that to God. And it kind of feels like that all that pain, like we can't give that to God. Like we have to get ourselves ready first. We have to be nice to God. We have to be polite. But the interesting thing is when you read some of the Psalms, when you read the Book of Lamentations, when you, when you read things that Jeremiah said and Job said, like they say full-on things to God. But God actually like puts this in the Bible and says, this is good. Like, this is legit. This is okay. This is what one author said. People like Job, David, Jeremiah, and even Jesus reveal to us that prayers of complaint can still be prayers of faith. 
They represent the last refusal to let go of the God who may seem to be absent or worse, uncaring. When the answers don't help, the answers, the, 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 the reasons aren't going to keep you connected to God, but being able to pour out your heart in complaint even to God can keep you connected. He says this, if this is true, then lament expresses one of the most intimate moments of faith, not a denial of it. That actually bringing all this stuff to God is an act of faith and prayer. It is supreme honesty before a God whom my faith tells me I can trust. He encourages me to bring everything as an act of worship. My disappointment, my frustration, and even my hate. Only lament uncovers this kind of new faith that better understands God's heart as it is revealed through Jesus Christ. He's saying that, that the way in the, in the midst of the pain and the suffering of unanswered prayer and in the difficulties of life is to keep talking to God, to express it to God, to hold on to God. And that's actually prayer. And that's actually worship. And you may have even been feeling that tonight, right? Like you may have even come in here in deep pain, in deep frustration with God even, in doubt. And you may be looking around and seeing everyone else worshiping and, and, and connecting with God. And you think, I've got nothing to offer. And this is saying, you can offer God your deep pain, your disappointment, your hurt. You can start there and express it to him. Again, you might still be thinking, though, like, no, that doesn't sound right. Like, no, we can't say that to God. Like, you can't, you can't really tell God what you think and what you feel. But I want to read, I'm going to read to you Psalm 13 and then Lamentations 3, and they get pretty intense, like some of the things that, that David and Jeremiah say to God. But I want you to notice something as we go through this, that, that as they basically express where they're at to God as an act of faith, you'll see that there's something happens where basically they've, they've poured themselves out and, and, and connected with God, and then something shifts, and there's a turn. And basically they move from themselves, like that quote said before, and they start to remember and realize who God is. And this pretty much happens in all of these laments. This is Psalm 13 from David. Just listen to This is David just complaining to God, and I want to see, see this turn that happens. He said this, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Like You might feel like that tonight. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. You see, David is just brutally honest before God. And this is in the Bible. Like, this, this is faith. This is worship. But then as he pours that out, as he brings it to God, something shifts, and he says this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You think, like, What? Like, is that the same guy? Like, he was just saying, how long ago, where are you? And now he's saying, he's talking about his unfailing love and his steadfast love. And it's this, the, the, pretty much all these laments in Scripture do this. There's one that doesn't, Psalm 88, if you read that. It's just depressing the whole thing. Like, it just doesn't get better. Like, it's just, but there's only one that's like that. All the others change. 
Right, there's a, there's a turn, and it's, and it's in bringing this to God and connecting with him that, that, that you get to remember who he is. This is, this is Lamentations 3. I, I just want to, I'm going to read this out to, to you. This is a bit long, and it gets pretty intense. And if you're thinking that you can't just be honest before God, I hope that you will realize you can after this. This is Jeremiah, and this is after Jerusalem has been destroyed by a siege. And people think that he was writing this in a cave, probably looking out over Jerusalem, this is, this is the city of God, right? Where, where God's presence was to dwell has been overrun by a siege, terrible suffering, terrible things. And Jeremiah had to prophesy about this yet, to talk about this, and his life has just been full of suffering. And now he's writing this book, Lamentations, and this is chapter 3. This is what Jeremiah says to God. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. It gets more intense. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I've been de deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is or happiness. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. You see, that's full on, right? Like, he, he is just brutally honest with God about how he's feeling. Now you, can, oh, you can't imagine, like, just what he would be feeling, seeing that scene, experiencing that. And he just pours out his heart to God. And it's like he comes to the end of himself, and then he says this, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. You might know this verse. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. That is the verse where the song, Great is thy faithfulness, comes from. Right? It comes after all that stuff. Like, like Jeremiah pours it all out, and then there's a turn. He remembers God. He remembers his unfailing love. He remembers his grace. He remembers that that is the reality of who God is, even when it doesn't look like it. And he realizes all he can do is hold on to God and trust in him. And that's, that's kind of all I want to communicate to you guys tonight, just that this would be a tool for prayer that you can use. That, that when God is not answering, when, when things are really bad, when you see the suffering in the world, when you experience the suffering in your life, the thing to do is to bring it to God, to be brutally honest before God, to offer all that you have to him, to deal with unanswered prayer. We just keep talking to God 
offer whatever you have to him. Keep wrestling and being honest with him. That, that, that's actually prayer. That's actually worship. You don't have to sort of figure it out first and then come to him. We come to him with whatever we have. And in the scriptures, right, you see this probably most clearly in Job. Right? This man who was an amazing servant of God, who loved God, who loses absolutely everything, his family, all, all his possessions, he loses his health, incredible suffering. And then the amazing thing, the start of Job, this happens to Job, right? All these things, one after another, he's losing, 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 and then he grows down onto the ground and he worships God. He, he holds on to God. He declares God's worth. And his friends come along. And his friends sit with him for, for a week, just mourning and grieving and not saying anything. But then, I, but then I was reading this author this week, and he said something so interesting. He said, then Job stays connected to God by lamenting, by actually expressing his frustration to God, expressing his hurt to God, complaining to God, wrestling with God. But the problem in the book of Job is his friends come, and they don't like that. They don't think he should be doing that. And his friends try and pull him away from lamenting and expressing to God to start just talking about God. His friends want to talk about suffering and they want to talk about the answers and, and this shouldn't really be the case because if you do good, you should get good. If you do bad, you should get bad. So maybe Job's done something wrong. And they're, they're trying to make sense of this. And they actually distract Job from, from lamenting. And it was the lamenting, it was the expression to God that was helping him. And, and after a while, that Job is distracted by his friends and that's what leads to despair because he's no longer connected to God. And, and, and actually just being able to stay there, stay holding on to him, expressing this frustration to him is actually what was needed the whole time. At the end of the book, God shows up and doesn't give any answers, just asks a heap of questions. And Job in the end finds God. And that, that's, that's kind of what it's about. It's about coming to know him and holding on to him. All I want to just encourage you tonight with is this, that lament is legit, right? That this is a form of prayer and worship that's okay. And even, especially in our culture, right, we sort of value holding it together and, and not even expressing too much emotion. But, but in the scriptures, we see that Jesus wept and grieved, and he's the son of God, and this is good, and it's okay. Psalm 62 says, Trust the Lord at all times, Pour out your heart before him, for he is a refuge for us. So I just, we're just going to, um, actually, what I, what I want to do is I've got, I've got a lament just written by a person in a book I read this week that I want to read to you. And then what we're going to do just for the rest of the services is um, sing some songs, and we're going to have communion. So it's up here at the front. And we're just going to create a space just for you to offer to God whatever it is that you have, wherever you are at now, that you, that, that, that you don't have to have it all together, but God wants wherever you're at just to offer it to him. There's some, there's some cushions down the front here. There's some cushions up the back that we can, we can pray for you if you'd like prayer. But I, I just encourage you in this time to just come before God honestly. Come and take communion and realize the sufferings of Christ. This is a, a prayer that's called a lament. You didn't fix me, you joined me. And you just want you to see, this person just starts where they feel and they move towards God. They say this, I acknowledge before you, Lord, the glaring gap in the difference between what I feel and what I believe. 
Right now, I feel like you don't really care. So many situations in my life are out of control. Why don't you just fix them? So much in and around me hurts right now. Why don't you just heal them? Were I willing to take more time to pray, I'm feeling right now that from my side of things, this could become a shouting business. Do something. But you have already done something, haven't you? You did what it took to become familiar with all the sorrows that I feel pressing in on me, even this very moment. You felt the gap between what you felt and what you believed, didn't you? Jesus, I'm so sorry I said you didn't care. Is there anything I could say that would have caused you more pain than that? You didn't come to fix things for me, did you? You came to join me. Thank you. Can I ask you one more thing? Would you, in the sacrament of this moment, enter right now into the holy of holies that is my hurt? Come in not to fix, but simply to be present. Be Emmanuel inside that sacred hurting place, even if it's only for a few precious moments. I can feel you inside now, Lord Jesus. I'm so sorry. Thank you. So I just encourage you to just engage with this time however you like. And as we take communion, just realize that God who knows the pain and the suffering that we experience and is with us in it. So we'll just do that now.